everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by people who have previously been on the show, unless it's a rejoinder episode or I changed my mind. It's a rejoinder episode this time. Megan Lamb is returning to talk about her new book, Coward. Megan Lamb is the author of Coward, Failure to Thrive Through Apocalypse Party from last year, All of Your Private Places from Spork Press in 2020, and Silk Flowers from Birds of Lace in 2017. She served as the Philip Roth Writer-in-Residence at Bucknell University in 2018 and has led creative workshops at the University of Chicago, Atavos Lorand University, Interlochen Center for the Arts, and Washington University in St. Louis. Her work has appeared in Quarterly West, Diagram, Rediver, and Passages North, among other publications. She currently serves as the nonfiction editor of Nat Brute, a Whiting award-winning journal of art and literature dedicated to advancing inclusivity in all creative fields. Before we get into the conversation, if you would like to help out this show, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can join the Patreon, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. There's some rewards there for people who contribute at different tiers. You can also throw me a one-time donation on PayPal. That's paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe. You could buy my book. It's called Tired. You can find it on Amazon. Or you can just give this show a five-star our review, retweet my tweets about it at Noisemaker Joe on Twitter, and just do all those word of mouth things that are all so good. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Megan. When we talked about, um, when we had you on last time, Failure to Thrive, that's the name of the book. Holy cow, that scared me for a second. Um, when we talked about Failure to Thrive, um, there was a lot of talk about, um, like, place, uh, about, like, the landscape, the town, and how this sort of, like, area can sort of act as a trap and bring people down. And, and Coward starts out with um, adjacency to, like, wildfires. Um, and that sort of hangs literally and, and metaphorically over the contents of the book. Um I'm curious just where that experience comes from for you. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I I, I do this with my partner, Robert Kloss, all the time, where I point out, like, what feels to me like a really obvious and strong, like, through thread through a lot of his work. But uh, he doesn't necessarily notice that or... Uh, see that in his own work he's like oh I never thought of that before and uh, that's kind of how I feel about what you just pointed out I guess uh, dilapidated post-industrial towns and fires are things that are in a lot of things that I write but I never really thought about that connection or why that's apparently an obsession with me but now that you pointed out I guess in my mind in some ways I saw this um, that is like a literal extension of failure to thrive in any ways, but I, I wrote it or I started writing it while I was still finishing failure to thrive. Um, and I started conceiving of it while I was still finishing failure to thrive. So I guess in a weird way, it's kind of a, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a sequel, but, uh, very similar sensibilities. I um, I started thinking about it um, because I had, um, when I was living in Spokane, Washington, my ex-husband 
uh, was looking for a job or like some liminal way to make money. And there were, uh, as you can imagine, not a lot of job options uh, in the time of year in Spokane, Washington, where the sky is burning and we weren't sure how long we were going to be there. Um, and he was looking on Craigslist for like any random jobs he could find. And he found this job, I think the title might have been medical career or um, medical transport, that's what it was. And we assumed based on the very vague description that it was either like transporting bodily fluids from the hospital or maybe at weirdest transporting bodies from the hospital morgue to the funeral home. Uh, but he went on this interview and it ended up being a completely other thing, uh, which maybe we'll talk about later because it appears in the book. Mm. But I, yeah, I, he had that weird experience and told me all about it. And I was like, oh my God, I need to write something about this. Um, and I, I'd also had another book in my mind or like known for years that I needed to write about these weird experiences I had when I was an adolescent, uh, just like the girls do in the book, uh, going into chat rooms and pretending to be different people. Uh, and it got weirder and weirder and more and more sexual. Actually, learned about a lot of sex uh, for the first time through the internet, uh, much in the way the girls do in the book. Um, and, and through researching things that I would see mentioned uh, that I had to like figure out what they were. Mm. Uh, but this is all to say, these are two uh, seemingly disparate things that I'd wanted to write about for a while. Oh, and I'd wanted to write a zombie story. <laughs> so there was something about, I, I kept thinking about my four strange months of my life. I lived in Spokane, Washington and uh, was trapped inside a lot and uh, looking at weird things on the internet because it was like 110 degrees outside and we didn't have air conditioning. And um, yeah. That seemed like an apt, uh, literal and figurative melting pot for all of these things, for for all of my various obsessions to meld together. Mm. The the zombie part, yeah, I, it doesn't stick in my brain as much, but I, I loved it as a through line. So the book is sort of structured um, that like jumps perspective. Um, and it's got the two, it's got the man and the girl who aren't named and are instead focused on another person. And so that person is named. And so the storyline, like in my brain, it's like, oh, it's either, uh, Kate McLean's half of the story or it's Madeline Lee's half of the story, but then weaving its way in between is this zombie, um, that, I, I suppose you can take literally as a zombie or as like a, a metaphorical like commentary on how we view 
the addicted and mentally ill. Um, yeah, I, I definitely meant it as more of the latter, but I, I have met people who have read it as more of the former, and I kind of like that it can be read as more of the former. Mm. Like it just feels because the the landscape gets set up as so apocalyptic, it makes sense that if everybody's inside hiding from these wildfires, a zombie apocalypse could start and nobody would notice except like the people who don't have homes and who are stuck outside because they're the only people who the zombies would get at. Um, I, I think that's kind of exactly what I was thinking when oh. I was conceiving of this whole uh, universe that is basically the world we live in, but like a uncanny augmentation of it. Mm. Yeah. And it kind of, now that I think about it, kind of reminds me of like White Noise, the the DeLillo book a little bit. Yeah. Where it's just, I, I like this sort of, I don't know like what you'd even call it because it's not like magical realism or anything really, but th just this like something wrong in the book that nobody really pays attention to. But like the world is ultimately our world or a reflection thereof with just like one or two things that are like wrong. Um that I really enjoy. Um, but my reading of books is always kind of colored by this several interviews I read of Blake Butler from around the time that There Is No Year came out where he says that like something somebody told him about um, when he was in grad school about like just take everything that you read literally in a book and, and kind of see how you react to it. So like if you say it's a zombie then it's a zombie and it takes me like I have to like un unwork that perspective sometimes because that's not how people always mean things but um and, i love that <laughs> i also wanted to know just kind of the interesting i don't know gender difference between the two of us with regard to internet uh education because growing up as a, as a dude i like didn't look things up if somebody said something and I didn't know, I just pretended like I did and then kept my mouth shut when it was brought up in hopes that I could get enough context from what people were saying to figure I out what it is we're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, usually I would do that in the conversation and then, well, afterward or sometimes during in the midst of it, I would look it up um, to supplement what I was learning through context. But yeah, I, it was funny. I, How old are you? I'm 37. I'm 29. Okay. So you grew up with a slightly different era of the internet than I did. Yeah. I, I would be looking things up while I'd be chatting online. Mm. And the internet was so, so slow. <laughs> like I'd be looking in like one corner of the computer watching this image that someone had sent me like loading like one pixel at a time for like 15 minutes and then over here i'd be like uh loading an image of johnny depp that i was going to use as my avatar of a person that was supposed to be me and then i'd be uh looking up different terms that he was saying to uh figure out how to have effective cyber sex <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was all of the images and information came so slowly that it left me a lot of time to multitask and process things in a 
bizarre way. Hmm. Super slow cinema. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, the era of chat rooms was slowly starting to die by the time I was using the internet. I remember watching my cousin go into like AOL chat rooms at our grandparents' house on the computer in the basement and I mean, nothing really nefarious was going on. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up more in like the Omegle boom. Um, and so like anonymity on the internet taken to like a very extreme, like it's just a chat room. You have no idea who you're talking to. And I do remember my parents being when I was even younger, be like, well, anybody can say anything on the internet and, you know, people aren't necessarily who they are. And then, you know, in the Omegle area era, just being like, ah, that is permission. <laughs> that is permission. That's an idea to like, just be a different person for a little bit. Um, while I interact with these people and, and see how they react to this person or that person. Um, yeah, I think there's this kind of truth that emerges when you're wearing a mask or when you're in a disguise and the internet is kind of like the ultimate mask. Anyone could be behind the other end of the screen. You wouldn't necessarily know, especially back in those days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now it's more of like a, like an Andy Kaufman sort of experience on the internet where like everybody is being way too forthcoming about themselves mm. but in so doing uh not being themselves at all uh but then transforming themselves into that person when they're off the internet yeah now people themselves are the mask <laughs> mm -hmm. um i feel i feel like the the kate mclean bit feels more I don't know. That feels further away from my experience. So I have like a like a darker, shadowier image of what's going on in there. Um, uh, and I think it's colored by the fact that I watched the Jeffrey Dahmer show recently. Oh, I did too. What did you think? Oh, I'm not a fan of things that Ryan Murphy does, really. Um, I kind of wanted to see what people were mad about. Um, and <laughs> I understand why people were mad. And I also, I guess I appreciate kind of what they were doing with the second half where they were trying to show like systemic problems that lead to serial killers and um, sharing some of the victim stories. But then that also felt exploitative because it's like, wait, no, you're just trying to make me feel extra bad while I'm watching this, which, you know, that's not super offensive to me. I watch media that makes me feel bad all the time on purpose. Um, so I don't have like a definitive, like watch it, don't watch it sort of review, but like, um, it kind of just leads me back to, to my, politics about like i don't know how you can consume true crime and like not be an anarchist <laughs> like how can you possibly think that like school systems and police departments and prisons and psychologists aren't all part of like one thing that's just trying to like get home at the end of the day and mm -hmm. so it just kind of like made me mad about the things i'm already mad about instead of doing the intended thing of like uh 
making me feel bad for the individual specific victims, but I also don't feel like it took enough time with those people with like one exception um, to really be able to do that beyond um, the just sort of natural social response of being like, oh no, that I would be very upset if somebody killed my brother or yeah, me. Ironic too, because some of those guys are amalgams of different people that were his victims. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting and very weird decision. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't quite make out like why uh, they would decide to combine uh, the guy who was a model and uh, the guy who was a deaf mute, aside from the fact that they had the same name. Oh, really? <laughs> so, I, yeah, I'm not, like, educated really on um, really any serial killer anything beyond the sort of, like, basic John Wayne Gacy was a clown sort of stuff, so... Um, a lot of the historical inaccuracies um, didn't affect my viewing. Um, really, the only th stuff that took me out of it were the sort of more contemporary social commentary that was like written into okay. the script. Um, th there was a, a confusing moment for me where he's in the interrogation room with the two cops and the... Uh, he's talking about how like he didn't really see anything on the news about his victims being missing and the black cop is like well, why do you think that is and yeah. my initial response was like well because they were all gay but he was he was taking it from a racial perspective and of course yes and um but like that just like felt like i know it was the 90s so you know that would have been in the social consciousness and especially for people of color that would have been a thing um, but like for the show, it was like, it just kind of like took me out of it for a minute. Um, like yeah, I, I think that was a lot of them trying to anticipate, uh, the things that, uh, the natural things that people would point out as problematic or territories that they wish they had been more attentive to, mm -hmm. um, they were trying to, uh, beat people to the punch a bit perhaps yeah and i don't i don't know like some his his court statement where he was like i i didn't do this out of hate like i didn't target anybody specifically like it really seems like jeffrey dahmer was too dumb to be that racist you know like and maybe he was but within the universe of this show like it really just kind of seemed like he was going after the people that he could go after or going after the people he was attracted to in the place where he was and he was in a poor area so of course he's gonna be around a lot of people of color but it, it, i don't know like it was very very strange and then of course the last couple episodes where all the victims families are like we just want to move past this and never think about it again we just want to heal and move on and we don't want anyone to talk about it anymore and i kind of felt like everyone was like looking into the camera and it was strange that it felt so confrontational to the viewer because it's like you guys didn't like there was just a jeffrey Dahmer movie that came out like four years ago <laughs> you're doing this to me i'm not doing this to you i mean i'm watching the show so yes i'm doing this to you but I'm actually glad that you bring up that show. I've been thinking a lot since watching it about how, for me, um, 
I wouldn't say that like my sexuality is like a reaction formation to things, although everyone's is perhaps you could say to some extent, but um, there's, there's something about um, serial killers like Dahmer, like um, especially like uh, people who are queer and have some sort of violence or uh, aberrance inside of them. Um, that's something I don't want to say I relate to, but something that I've always kind of like mapped onto my own experience or like I, um, and I'm still not like out, out to certain people, uh, which is becoming more and more of an awkward thing in my life. Mm. Like I never like had a sit down with my family where I came out to them and I couldn't possibly imagine doing that now. Yeah. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of just from the tail end of a generation that uh, you didn't really have those conversations with your family. Right. Um, but my, my family is very liberal in some ways. Um, like my mom knows gay people, I think, and she seems okay enough with the idea of gay men, but um, she's insinuated to us at different or to me and my siblings at different points in our life. Like, I'm fine with gay people, but you better not be gay. Um, yeah, we've we've had some awkward, like almost confrontations or like conversations that seemed like her fishing around where I ended up dodging that fishing around. Mm. But uh, for better or worse, I felt like uh, those desires were things that I had to explore and learn about in the dark and often learn about through other scrims and other masks. Um, and I was learning about a lot of things uh, around the time I was like, well, in conjunction with like exploring the darker corners of the internet mm -hmm. um, and naturally encountering some disturbing material and kind of like checking it out and measuring myself against it and trying to figure out how I felt about it. And I was kind of like doing all of that at the same time that I was learning that I was queer and like trying to figure out how queer I was or what that meant to me. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think that's part of where my personal interest and curiosity in figures like Dahmer who um, like how much of his aberrance comes from uh, like him being a psychologically uh, messed up person and how much of it comes from just uh, different reaction formations or processing uh, societal responses or um, ways he had to hide his queer identity yeah yeah it it seems like i mean sex and violence are said together in the same breath so many times um but like spending an awful lot of too much time on 4chan as a teenager like <laughs> you know like you'll get four threads of different kinds of nudity and then like gore photos like right next to it and so like the it's unavoidable like it just 
percolates into things when you're in forums like that. Yeah, and so like whether or not the human brain is like has those two things next to each other synaptically or not like the connections just kind of like accidentally get made um and i suppose if you look at especially within the show um you know Dahmer is learning about his sexuality at the same time he's doing taxidermy like they're Mm -hmm. the insides and the insides are are like very close to each other in the brain at the time when your brain is doing hyper focusing on things and the show like made it clear that he was an alcoholic but i i wonder how much of that um also plays into things like the the blurring effect on things that alcohol has um you know can make it I think even easier for the boundaries between violence and sex to perforate. I am fascinated by um, his victim uh, in the Ambassador Hotel. Um, I think that's the name of the hotel. <laughs> uh, who uh, he spent a night with in the hotel um, and he got blackout drunk and uh, according to him and according to like the visual narrative of the show, like woke up the next day and had this, oh, what have I done? Um, I strangled him to death. Uh, I, my hands are bloody. Uh, I have no memory of this. Uh, as, as dramatic as that sounds, I, I, I have uh, OCD and I have a lot of dark thoughts. Mm. Um, and that's been one of my most recurring uh, dark thoughts is like, oh, I, I have some sort of blackout or I go into a fugue state and then I wake up the next day and oh, I've murdered someone. I've, I've done something horrible that I can't undo. Mm. Um. When I was first learning to drive and kind of, like thereafter, after I learned to drive, um, a lot of the time it would be, I somehow was driving at night and the next day I opened the paper and oh, someone was murdered in a car accident. Mm. Oh, it was me. Now I'm having flashes back to how I ran someone over and their entrails were all over the road or something. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I don't have too many experiences with um that sort of thing beyond like there's a point in my life when my mental health was not great and i re remember probably the closest thing to an intrusive thought i've ever had where it's just like driving especially with people in the car for a couple weeks stretch was like really stressful because it's like at any moment i could slip or you know drive off the road or something like the way I've had intrusive thoughts explained to me is that it's like a voice telling you, hey, do the thing. Um, but for me, it was just more of a, a fear that I could accidentally do the thing. Um, I would say that's more what it is for me, too. But it's also a little bit of do the thing. And they get blended together in mm -hmm. weird ways where I sometimes especially if I'm feeling very foggy or perhaps impaired, I can't necessarily tell the difference. Hmm. Um, 
beyond the the medical courier bit because I, I think I, I think I steered us away too much but the the Kate McLean bit I'm, I'm very interested in the sort of first half of that mm. story and where that comes from yeah I um it's funny the um the two female characters are uh pretty clearly modeled after me and uh one of my earliest crushes who I still have a crush on. She's uh, one of my best friends and one of my neighbors in Oak Park. Uh, we still hang out all the time. <laughs> but uh, my connection to that character is pretty clear and pretty literally autobiographical. But this other male character is kind of like a darker extension of myself. Um, I, and it's funny, like, I, I, like, there's the narrative way in which, um, the two girls are pretending to be gay men on the internet, but, um, I'm also in a kind of, uh, fictional drag via this character, but I, yeah, I, I guess at different points in my life, I've just, like, kind of imagined, well, maybe naturally imagined as an extension of like early formative activities like this, where I was pretending to be a guy on the internet. I've imagined like the outline of that guy existing mm -hmm. in some alternate reality. And I think in a way that's who, that's who that character is supposed to be. And in a way I'm also Kate McLean. Um, uh, I, I came up with the name uh, from uh, Mary McLean who, uh, I think you would love her books, but um, she was, uh, um, she wrote this book, um, gosh, I am going to look it up because I am also having the disturbing, uh, oh, I, I await the devil's coming. <laughs> um, hmm. It's, I don't know if I call it stream of consciousness. Uh, it's it's just like a an outpouring of the id, but also um, very cogent and very articulate. Um, and she wrote most of it when she was uh, sixteen, and like I think like the eighteen forties or uh, in the eighteen hundreds in Montana, like. Uh, in the middle of nowhere on the plains, uh, just being this uh, brilliant, sexually frustrated young woman who has decided she's going to summon the devil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of the narrative I have in mind with Kate McLean's character. Uh, and, and the way in which she's kind of a um, another shadow self of me and who I've been interacting with people on the internet is um, like kind of the narrative I have in mind for her is that she may or may not have committed suicide. That's not something that totally makes it onto the page and definitely not something that's ever literally articulated on the page, but um I, I definitely spent a lot of my youth saying 
provocative things to other people about my suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideations to kind of like test their reactions and kind of test how I felt about them. Uh, and I would often realize in the course of like writing something that I thought was an exaggeration of what I was feeling, how real it really was, mm. or maybe not even how real uh, the intention of what I was writing was, but how real something else was within that. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but I guess those two characters were a different way of communing with other shadow selves and um, other imaginations of myself from around that time period, but just in a much less literal way than the two girls that are actually based on me and my friend. I gotcha. Um, and we're, we're coming up on half an hour, but I'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't get to it. You, you mentioned before we started recording that you sort of have certain feelings about this book. And I'd, I'd like to, to talk about that before we get off. Yeah, I, <laughs> so this was in many ways, a book that I've needed to write for a long time. And there's so much of myself embodied in it not just like buried in it but like embodied in a really naked way um and 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 uh it's me on the cover literally naked so there's that too um and and that wasn't necessarily a thing that i had planned um my friend devin staconis um had been planning to do this art project uh, where she was going to um, do figure drawings of corpses in the morgue. Um, and she wanted to kind of like get them so close up and abstracted that the the flesh and the different textures of the flesh almost resembled landscapes. When I heard about that idea, I was like, oh my goodness, could we have like that as the cover or like illustrations in my book that would converse perfectly with so much of what I'm trying to do um, with the interactions of flesh and landscape uh, and fire. But uh, she didn't end up being able to do that project. And uh, we were kind of talking about it while she was visiting. And I said, well, oh, and she had been talking about uh, wanting to do more figure drawing and uh, that idea for the project to kind of come out of that they said well you could just draw me hell if you want me to be the corpse in the image I'll, I'll be the corpse um so uh it kind of came a, about spur of the moment uh i i like the way it turned out but i hadn't i perhaps hadn't been thinking about the oddness of that <laughs> in advance of the book existing as an object. Um, I love the way it came out, but like, <laughs> came out. Um, yeah, now that I have this book that has so much of my personal history embodied in it and has me on the cover, um, I feel strange about where and how I should publicize the book or talk about the book 
because I feel a little bit odd about my parents seeing it and they follow me on Facebook. I, I feel pretty safe posting about it on forums that I know they don't really go to, but I don't know. I, and it's not like I'm ashamed of it, but I, yeah, I guess I, I don't want to have to have that conversation. <laughs> I don't want to have to have that conversation come about by accident at a time when I'm not really ready to have it. But yeah, so far I've just been posting cautiously and trying to hide them and like anyone I know who might see it that they know on Facebook. But I know I can never get anyone. And I've also been trying to not show the cover, which is kind of a shame because I have a feeling that some of the copies have sold because of the cover. <laughs> but... Yeah, it, there's that, and then there's also just, like, how exposing some of the content of the book feels. And there's also kind of the provocative nature of it, where I I didn't necessarily write it to uh, be a provocateur, provocateur or, like, get a strong reaction, um, but... I didn't not do that necessarily either. Um, I think more than anything, I, I wanted people to feel strong responses to things, but like make their way through them. Like much in the way I had to respond to different stimuli I would encounter unbidden on the internet in the course of scrolling through things and then just have to process it. Um, you can't, see a horrifying image uh and like it, it's in your head after that you have to think about it you have to think about your relationship with it whether you want to or not mm -hmm. um, and i guess that was kind of i wanted people to be able to have that response but then go through it with me much in the way that i did when i was that age but it feels weird to be the person who's exposing themselves and exposing other people to those things in that way because it's a very strange thing. I gave a public reading at Woodland Pattern last week and I gave, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a content warning, but kind of a soft content warning at the beginning of the reading saying, uh, yeah, there's, um, there's some gore and disturbing material in this reading so if you're very sensitive to that just be aware that that's in there and uh maybe you might want to leave for this one depending on how you feel about that and when i started reading i didn't get 30 seconds into the reading before someone walked out and i had mixed feelings about that on the one hand i was kind of like fuck yeah <laughs> I, I did the thing but on the other hand, I was like, oh, I hope I didn't really disturb that person. I feel kind of bad. But yeah, I, I think there's that mixed response in me. Um, but yeah, when I, that's a big part of my, my mixed feelings I've been having lately about the book. <laughs> there's other stuff there too related to the fact that um, 
there wasn't necessarily like a planned release or like pre-order or like um, marketing plan for this book. Um, Spite and Devil had told me that like once I sent in all my materials, it would be like a three month process before uh, the book was put up. And I still didn't know like if put up meant like pre-order or like your book's up, you can buy it. Um, so I, I thought it was going to be a much longer process than it ended up being. Uh, but I guess because like I didn't have like extensive edits, like I tend to send people pretty clean copies of things. And I got my um, uh, little ARC like mock-up copy and I looked through it and I told them like, I can't really find anything to change. Uh, and I really combed through it. So like a week later, it was just like, boop, your book's up there. People can buy it now. <laughs> and so I, I started just like sharing it left and right as much as I could. But most of the people I knew who had even an inkling that the book was coming out were like, your book's out already? And most people were like, you have a book out? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I I, I know it's weird to me too. I wasn't really planning on it yet. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been kind of scrambling uh, and I very appreciate, I very much appreciate you having me uh, on with this interview uh, toward the goal of publicizing it kind of at the last minute. But yeah, all those things coming together are kind of the weird feelings. Yeah.